welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We are continuing through our Sermon on the Mount series, and we are in episode 131, and it's titled, Where is Your Treasure? And our text we're working through today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. So if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're wondering why a Christian podcast called Thankful Homemaker is studying through the Sermon on the Mount and not just talking about homemaking, which I do do that here. There are many past episodes, and I hope to get some more future ones soon, but but the reason we work through God's Word is because I know the impact it has on my heart as a Christian homemaker and wife and mother and grandmother and on my life and how I go about caring for my family and home when I am rightly understanding who God is and in light of who God is, what He requires of me as His redeemed daughter. Because Really, anyone can learn how to manage a home and all that's involved, but only those of us in Christ, those of us who have been redeemed, who have repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, can truly manage a home in a way that honors the Lord. So that is my hope here, to give you gospel-driven encouragement as you care for your home and family. And today's episode is going to help us understand how to enjoy God's good gifts, and how to build up treasure in heaven, and how to increase in our love and faith and Christ-like character. Because as we're being sanctified and becoming more like Jesus, it's going to change how we interact with those in our homes and churches and neighborhoods, and how we care for what the Lord has entrusted to us on this earth as we live our lives here, as Peter said, sojourners and exiles awaiting for his return. So I pray our time gives you a desire to increase in the knowledge of the Lord, and not just for the sake of gaining knowledge, but to truly be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. I know this is a long introduction, but I feel sometimes I need to share a little refresher to us all and to those who may be new here with us. So the last several Sermon on the Mount episodes had us working through a section in Matthew chapter 6 on not being a hypocrite. And you can find all past episodes over at the blog under the Christian Living um, tab on my website. You hover over that. It drops down Sermon on the Mount. You can find all past episodes, or you can find them in whatever podcast catcher app you listen in on too. But so Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was really working through on not being a hypocrite. And then we work through the areas of not being a hypocrite on our giving and prayer and fasting. Jesus was dealing there with our private Christian life. And now he's addressing our public life and our issues with the, with the world. And in, when I'm stating the world there, I'm not just talking about the physical world, but I'm talking more in terms of worldly ambition and how we can be drawn into the thinking of the world's ways. So let me read our text today, and we're going to dig in as always, verse by verse. So I'm going to start here by reading Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, and I'm reading from the ESV. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So our passage today is still continuing with the theme that our righteousness as believers must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Their view was of an earthly kingdom. Their view taught that wealth meant God's blessing. So, hmm, does that sound familiar from, I think of our health, wealth, prosperity, false teachers out there. And if you'd like a little more information on false teachers, or maybe you need some information to share with someone who's caught up in that, I really recommend Justin Peters ministry. His site is justinpeters.org. Check that out. So being in Christ, we now look at our possessions in such a different way. And this is what I hope to walk through with you together today. Verse 619 reads, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Okay, so our beginning there in verse 19, do not, is pretty clear that Jesus is forbidding us to do this. He isn't forbidding having wealth or possessions or saving for retirement or providing for our family, right? He's forbidding us to lay up for them because we know here in the verses in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 that that they praise the ant for storing summer food he'll need in winter. And we know in 1 Timothy, we're to provide for our own families. That's 1 Timothy 5 eight. As always, too, as I'm saying this, all the scripture references I mentioned will be in the show notes, too. But what Jesus is forbidding here is us selfishly accumulating goods. And this doesn't just concern the wealthy because it says treasures and do not, and it doesn't say, and not do lay up for yourselves money. Money is part of our treasures. That's part of it, okay? But but Jesus, I want us to grasp this. Jesus is also concerned about our attitude toward our possessions. Martin Lloyd-Jones states, our Lord is dealing here with people who get their main or even total satisfaction in this life from things that belong to this world only. So there are so many earthly treasures we can get caught up in when we forget that we are sojourners and exiles on this earth. And I'm speaking to myself around this because I forget at times too. We can treasure things that can even to some degree seem like good things, but we can be putting them above all things and then they become idols in our lives. We can treasure our family. We can look to them as everything. We can treasure our standing in society or the accomplishment of our children or our education or our position in our workplaces or I could go on and on here. You kind of get the idea. All of these things we can't take with us when we die. They are temporal and not eternal. People are eternal, but we most of those things we're talking about and the way I'm talking about treasuring them are not. Job 121 states, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. So the words Jesus uses here to not lay up earthly treasures are a command and not an option. We do need to clarify what the text is not saying. The Bible is not condemning the possession of having private property. The Eighth command, Commandment tells us you shall not steal in Exodus 20.15. So we're talking about private property here, right? So we're not to take things belonging to another person, and they're not to take our things. And we all very well know the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, 3 through 4. 
Um, it reads, I'm going to read Acts 5, 3 through 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So it's clear from what Peter is stating that they were allowed to have private property and God didn't doesn't force on us how to dispose of it. Their lying was an issue there. And I, I do want to quote Warren Wearsby on these verses in Acts because, first of all, it was convicting to me. So I don't want to be alone in that. So I thought you could use some conviction too. So I'm just going to continue on here to spur us on to love and good deeds and to search our own hearts. He stated, he said, it's easy for us to condemn Ananias and Sapphira for their dishonesty, but we need to examine our own lives to see if our profession is backed up by our practice. Do we really mean everything we pray about in public? Do we sing the hymns and gospel songs sincerely or routinely? He quotes Matthew 15, 8 here. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So he says, if God killed the, quote, religious deceivers today, how many church members would be left? Um, we also know that Jesus did say to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 to give up all his possessions. But do note that Jesus didn't say that to Martha or Mary or Lazarus, but Jesus was making clear to the rich young ruler that he was breaking the two greatest commands. He did not love the Lord with all his heart, and he did not love his neighbor as himself. He loved himself and his money more. The rich young ruler stated he kept all the commandments, but Jesus is bringing him to the point of seeing himself as a sinner, and Jesus is using the law to do it. Jesus was using the Ten Commandments there. So James Montgomery Boyce, he helps us out in understanding this a bit. He says, it doesn't lie in abstinence or withdrawal. It lies in the proper use and proper estimate of the things which God has proved. In other words, he's saying we're not called upon to relinquish things, but rather to use them under God's direction. We're to use them for the health and well-being of our family, for material aid to others, and for the great task of proclaiming the gospel and promoting Christian principles. So John MacArthur states on this passage, he shared a story about John Wesley. And he said, during his exceptionally long ministry, which spanned most of the 18th century, John Wesley earned a considerable amount of money from his published sermons and other works. Yet he only left 28 pounds when he died because he continually gave what he earned to the Lord's work. And he continues here, he says, it is right to provide for our families, to make reasonable plans for the future, to make wise investments, and to have money to carry on a business, give to the poor, and support the Lord's work. He says, it's being dishonest, greedy, covetous, stingy, and miserly about our possessions that is wrong. So he continues, he says, to honestly earn, save, and give is wise and good. To hoard and spend only on ourselves, not only is unwise, but sinful. So from when we think of where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, it's just a reminder to us that there is no security in material things. They can be gone in an instant. Our security lies when we lay up our treasure in heaven. We need to major on the internals and not the externals. Jim Elliott's quote comes to mind here. You're all familiar with it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
So we need to guard against materialism. We need to be aware of the needs around us and use what the Lord has given us to do good to others and to help those in need. And we need to remember to live in light of the fact that this world is not our home. One commentator stated it, hold tightly what is eternal, hold lightly what is temporal. So I want to share a little clip here about the about the missionary David Livingston. He was a missionary to Africa, and it says, The body of this missionary David Livingston was buried in England, where he was born, but his heart was buried in the Africa he loved. At the foot of a tall tree in a small African village, the natives dug a hole and placed it at the heart of this man who they loved and respected. Okay, I know that sounds a little creepy, but it, it just the concept, we're going to get to the rest of this here. And it kind of turns this to us then. It's saying, if your heart were to be buried in the place you loved most during life, where would it be? Would it be in your pocketbook? Would it be in appropriate space down at the office? And this, this unknown author of this quote is saying, where is your heart? So as we continue on in our text, Matthew 6, 20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. John Wesley stated, he said, The real value of a thing is the price it will bring in eternity. So we're all storing up treasures, but are we doing it here on earth or in heaven? And what does this practically look like to do this? Ray Pritchard stated it. He said, you store up treasures in heaven by investing your money in things that will last for eternity. Two things last forever, the word of God and people. Matthew 24, 35 reminds us, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And 1 John 2, 17 tells us, the world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So the best investment we can make is investing our lives in the word of God and to people. Matthew 6, 21 states, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we're moving down the text, Sir John MacArthur in his commentary on Matthew states on this point, he says, Jesus goes on to point out that a person's cherished possessions and his deepest motives and desires are inseparable. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They will either both be earthly or both be heavenly. He says it's impossible to have one on earth and the other in heaven. As always, the heart must be right first. He says, in fact, if the heart is right, everything else in life falls into its proper place. He says the person who is right with the Lord will be generous and happy in his giving to the Lord's work. Then he says, by the same token, a person who is covetous, self-indulgent, and stingy has good reason to question his relationship with the Lord. Jesus is not saying that if we put our treasure in the right place, our heart will be there in the right place. But he says, but that the location of our treasure indicates where our heart already is. He says, spiritual problems are always heart problems. Sinful acts come from a sinful heart, just as righteous acts come from a righteous heart. So in our previous verses, we went through the you so in verses 19 and 20 the you was plural but now here in verse 21 it's singular it is you jesus is calling for each of us to make a personal application to the truths that he has just taught us i'm going to read the verse again for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so the word for heart here in the greek is cardia and it's referring to the whole inner man to the core of our total being 
And when our hearts are focused on things above and not on things on earth, think they're Colossians 3, then we're going to find ourselves giving our time and resources to the eternal work of the Lord. Whatever we treasure here on earth is where most of our time and attention is going to be focused. Our heart will follow what we treasure. So material possessions in and of themselves, they're not forbidden. It's, it's not wrong to be rich or to make provisions for the future and to care for your family. We have Joseph's stored grain for future use. That's Genesis 41, 33 to 36. And Abraham, he was a pretty wealthy man, right? Genesis 13, 2. Money can be a huge blessing, but only if it is not an end itself, but a means to an end. Our problem comes about when our thinking is selfish. Remember, we went to the singular here. So Jesus is telling us not to be selfish or self-centered in how we accumulate possessions as if it's our only purpose or goal in this life. Friend, if all we value are things of and on the earth, then we're going to find ourselves with earthly values. We're going to be no use to the kingdom. When our goals and values are set on God's will and his purposes, then how we consider and use our possessions will reflect that. When our hearts are fixed on heaven, then we're going to hold with an open hand the things of this earth. Warren Wearsby cautions us. He says, if the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investments, then the result can only be a tragic loss. He says, the treasures of earth may be used for God, but if we gather material things for ourselves, we will lose them and we will lose our hearts with them. He says, instead of spiritual enrichment, we will experience impoverishment. So we know where our treasure lies if we look where we spend our time and money. And really, we're really looking at the things that we are the most devoted to. My friend, we can know all about fashion and food and fitness and have all the latest gadgets and home decorating. And nothing about those is wrong in and of themselves. But we need to ask ourselves the question, how much do I know about God's word? How much do I know about God or or desire to know him? How much... Um, Am I putting time and energy into reading and studying and meditating on the Bible and investing in the lives of others? 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 tells us, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So out of our hearts, our actions come, and they speak pretty loud as to what we treasure. So what we treasure could reveal a heart problem. And then next, Jesus is going to see if we have an eye problem. So let me read Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Sinclair Ferguson affirms here, he says, fixing the eye and fixing the heart amount to the same thing, focusing our attention and concentrating all our energies on something. So how do we look at things? Do we see with singular vision or double vision? How do we look at everything in the world? We always have two ways of looking at things. If we have a spiritual view, we're going to see things clearly and the way they're supposed to be. But if we have bad eyes... We're going to see with double vision. It's going to be blurry, and the lens probably needs a good wiping off, like my glasses usually do. Jesus is still driving home the point that we need to have a singular, clear, focused mind, giving God our full attention and focus. These two words used here in verses 22 and 23 of 
of the words clear and bad, they can be translated also as the word clear for generous and bad for ungenerous. So we see a clear or generous eye in James 1.5 in describing one who gives generously to all. And we see a bad or ungenerous eye in Proverbs 28.22, which tells us a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. So we're either being generous with our possessions or we're being stingy and coveting money and wealth. This produces, as Jesus warns us in our verses there at the end, darkness that is great. There's an exclamation point there. Our Kent Hughes said on this, he said, the idea here is simple but beautiful. The eye is pictured as the window through which light comes into the body. If a window is clean and the glass is clear, the light that comes in will properly light every part of the room. If the window is dirty or if the glass is uneven or tinted or discolored, the light's going to be hindered and the room will not receive the full benefit of the light. The amount and quality of the light that comes into a room depends on the condition of the window through which it comes. So it is with the eye. The condition of the eye determines the quality of the light that enters the body. If you're colorblind, all the reds and greens of Christmas decorations, they're, they're lost to you. He says if you have cataracts, you may sit next to someone and perceive only a shadow. If your eye is blind, how great is that darkness? He says there are no colors, no forms, no motion. Of course, Jesus is not giving us a lesson on optics. He's saying that the light that comes into a man's soul depends on the spiritual condition of the eye through which it has to pass because the eye is the window of the body. So wealth, coveting, our focus, it it doesn't just enslave our hearts. It can enslave our minds and it will leave us with darkened eyes and divided hearts. If we find ourselves focused on what the world calls calls success, we're not going to be able to see clearly. It's going to be distorted, foggy, unclear, and it's going to block out God's light. Jesus is going to continue to hammer this point home in our next verse here, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we've got the beginning there, no one again. Okay, pretty clear in our first two words in that verse, no one. We will always be preferring one master over another, and they both make demands on our lives. God demands our full devotion, and the world desires our full devotion. We tend to see sometimes more gray areas of life than there really are. We can tend to compromise and veer off the narrow path too often. God tells us in Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Not some, but all. So we started, we had two treasures, we had two visions, and now we have two masters. Martin Lloyd-Jones stated, he said, the man who thinks he's godly because he talks about God and says he believes in God and goes to a place of worship occasionally, but is really living for certain earthly things, he says, how great is that man's darkness? He told a story that gives a really good picture or summary of Jesus' point he's making to us in the text today. This was in a couple commentaries, and I want to share it with you because it's a good story. So it's the story of a farmer who one day he went happily and with great joy in his heart to report to his wife and family that their best cow had given birth to twin calves, one red and one white. And he said, you know, I suddenly had a feeling and impulse that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together, and when the time comes, we'll sell one and keep the proceeds, and we'll sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. 
His wife asked him what she was going to dedicate to the Lord. He says, there's no need to bother about that now, he replied. We'll treat them both in the same way. And when the time comes, we'll do as I say. And off he went. And in a few months, the man entered his kitchen looking very miserable and unhappy. And when his wife asked him what was troubling him, he answered. He said, I have bad news to give to you. The Lord's calf is dead. But she said, you, you had not decided which to, was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I had always decided it was to be the white one. And it's the white one that has died. The Lord's calf is dead. Martin Lloyd-Jones kind of talked about this. He said, we may laugh at that story, but how true is it? Is it in our lives at times that it's always the Lord's calf that dies, that when money's tight, we cut back on our giving to the church? And one point I want to bring us to as we come to a close is that Martin Lloyd-Jones in his studies on the Sermon on the Mount brought out how often our Lord and the apostles warn us about these things. And the answer he gave is that because it's because of sin and the effect that sin has on our lives. We can never, never lose sight of this. As believers, my friends, sin is a serious issue in our lives. Even after salvation, sin causes us to be governed by, by our emotions and desires. Our emotions and desires can be good things when they are driven by the truth of God's word, but so often we let them lead instead of God's word leading them. And also this world and everything in it, it's passing away. So we need to not hold tightly to it and the things in it. We can too easily get caught up in the here and now and lose focus on the eternity. And then there's the reality that we can't mix light and darkness. It's the reminder that we can't serve two masters. These are absolutes. We can't love two opposite things at the same time. It's one or the other, right? I appreciate how um, the Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones brought this section to a close, and I want you to hear this with me. If you're listening in to me now and you're not a Christian, you that you have not bowed the knee to King Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you have never come to the place to see yourself as a sinner against a holy God and have repented or turned from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then the doctor's words to you are, don't trust your mind. You can't think rationally. Your mind is a dangerous thing and it cannot be trusted. But if you are a Christian, if you're known by and you know Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, as your Lord and Savior, then your mind can now for once think rationally. Your mind can receive truth with the truth of God and who he is and your great need for him being the first truth that entered into it, right? So after receiving this truth of God, your mind can now think clearly. Your heart can be focused on the eternal and your eye can be single focused. You love truth above all else and you seek it above all things. And I pray, my dear friend, that we will all be those Christians who love God above all things and we serve him and we serve him alone. Because as I end all the time, because Jesus is enough always. Thank you so much for your time today, my friend. And as always, the full show notes with all the quotes, scripture references, and resources mentioned are over at the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. If you like the saying, Jesus truly is enough always, I have a lovely mug with that on it. And I just added a new color into my um, Thankful Homemaker gear store, which you can find under the resources at my blog. But before I let you go, this episode is coming out around Thanksgiving, and I want you to know of a new resource at Thankful Homemaker to help you in your Thanksgiving planning. It's really meant to simplify your Thanksgiving and to keep it Christ-focused. It's I'm using the word planning a lot, but it's called, it's Planning a Christ-Focused Thanksgiving Mini Course, and it's filled with resources and printables for you to use year after year, and the hope is it's going to put your Thanksgiving on autopilot. 
I'm using mine this this year because I put it together kind of for myself and that's where the idea came from. So it has already been such a help to me. It's taking so much off my mind. So if you could use a bit of help in your planning, I think it will be a blessing to you too. And you can find out all those details at the blog. I'll put the um, link in the show notes. And I always do keep my resources in the shop. I really try to keep them affordable. The ones that are for sale. They are for stay-at-home mom's budgets and every purchase that you make helps support what I do here at the blog. It keeps the podcast up. It keeps the blog running. So thank you. Thank you bunches in advance for that. And my friend, I do pray that you have a very blessed week. And if you don't, um, if I don't, I should say, get another episode out before Thanksgiving, I do pray you have a sweet celebration giving thanks to the Lord with your family and friends. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.